0: Today's reading will be from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. It should be on page 1,678 on the Church Bible. Oh, can you hear me, everyone? So it should be on Colossians Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 17, on page 1,678. giving thanks to God the Father through him.
1: Oh, what a great passage. And uh, thanks, Sam, for reading that to us. Let's, let's pray. Let's ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, as we pause and reflect on what you've said to us in your word, uh, please give us minds to grapple with the depths of your truth. Please give us responsive hearts. Please shape us, teach us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some years ago, I was sitting with a friend of mine. Someone had given this guy a Bible and he, he just sort of opened it up randomly and landed in the book of Jeremiah about halfway through and he found it difficult to understand, which I can sympathise with. And so I offered, I said, how about I meet up with you and we can we can work through the message of the Bible, maybe I can help you to understand it. And so when we caught up the first time, he said, look, look before we start on the Bible, I have some questions about Christianity and I wonder if you could answer these questions and I said sure and so he pulled a piece of paper out of his pocket and he unfolded it and he read his first question and the question was do Christians believe in tribalism and nobody had ever asked me that question before but actually, it was such an important question for my friend, because my friend had grown up in Somalia. He'd lost both of his parents in the inter-tribal wars. And actually, the more I think about it, that is a really important for question for all us Christians to answer. I mean, you look around the world today. You could take somewhere like uh, South Sudan, where for the last 10 years, there's been a struggle, a sometimes violent struggle between the the Nua and the Dinka tribes, both tribes who, at least in name, are supposed to be Christian. And yet, for so many people, it's the tribal identity that matters most. And, of course, the tendency to tribalism is not just an African thing, is it? Because here in the West... Aren't we witnessing an increasing political tribalism? Not to mention the the tribalism of class or of age. I mean, in a a social media world, sometimes it feels like we're becoming a more divided society. Now, today, we're looking at Colossians chapter 3, which is all about our new identity in Christ. And the first part of the chapter really deals with how you take hold of that new identity as an individual. Each of us individually should set our minds on things above. Each of us individually should put to death whatever belongs to our old, earthly, sinful nature. But then in this chapter, from about verse 9 onwards... It talks about how to take hold of our new identity um, as a community. Today, what we're going to see is what it looks like to be a community where Christ matters most. And so we're going to focus on verses 9 through to 14. And this is what we're going to see. We're going to see what's now at the centre of our new identity. Therefore, what is no longer at the centre of our new identity. We'll see what helps cross-cultural relationships go well. And also what to do if cross-cultural relationships aren't going so well. Okay, what is at the centre of our new identity? Well, look with me at verse 9 says, Do not lie to each other. So it's, it's each other. We're talking about how we relate together. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Well, what does that actually mean? Old self and new self. Literally, in the original language, it says... Old man and new man. You've taken off the old man, put on the new man. And ultimately, what I think Paul means when he talks about the new man is Christ himself. Since all of us who have come to him are together his body, we have put on Christ. Paul says something similar to this in the letter to the Ephesians and and Colossians and Ephesians he probably wrote them at about the same time and sent them uh, as two letters to different places um, so in, in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 15 it talks about how Jews and Gentiles have been brought together by Christ it says his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity or literally one new Man. One new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which He put to death their hostility. And so our new identity is a group identity that we together are the body of Christ. Because we've each been reconciled to God through Jesus' death on the cross we also are reconciled with each other. Back in Colossians, this new man, this new humanity, uh, is being, this is verse 10, renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. See, in the beginning, humans were created in the image of God to know God. And that image of God was distorted by sin and that personal knowledge of God was lost but here it says no we are being restored I've been watching this channel on YouTube called Matt's Off-Road Recovery Um, it's it's about these guys in uh, a little town in America they run a business it's kind of like a tow truck business uh, where they like they've got these big four wheel drives and they go and pull people out who are bogged in the, in the snow or in the, the desert, and anyway, there's this one series of videos they made which are a little bit different because in this particular series, it's not a paid job. See, they know this old guy called Ed. So that's Matt and Ed, and anyway, they they find out that Ed. Owns an old Suzuki that 47 years ago he parked it next to a gold mine up in the hills where he'd been doing some digging and then a rock slide came down, destroyed the road, blocked it off, and so since then this old Suzuki has been stuck there. And so these guys decide, well, we're going to go and get it out. And it's really difficult. And expensive and hard work. And, you know, they scratch up their jeep a fair few times. And there's bits where they basically have to, like, drill through rocks and smash them up and rebuild the road by hand. And the car that they're rescuing, the car is absolutely dead. The engine's seized up. It's rusted through. But, anyway, they manage to pull the thing out. They rescue it. They put it on a trailer. They take it back home. And when they get back home, they sort of get the whole town in on this project. And, you know, they they know a guy who's a mechanic who, like, puts a modern engine in it. And they know a guy who's a panel beater who does an amazing job of the body and the paintwork. And so when it's all finished, uh, they have this special day where they surprise Ed with his car completely renewed. In fact, his car has been made better than new. And it's actually, it's quite a moving moment how much, you know, kind of all the people who are involved get together and just how much joy it gives them as they give this gift to Ed. Uh, They call this car the Golden Nugget. And it's it's a really special car for everybody because of the whole story behind it. And anyway, after I watched these videos, it occurred to me, hang on a minute, isn't that actually the story of the gospel? You know, humanity started off new, but because of sin, humanity was lost. Humanity was seemingly without hope. We were like a dead, rusted car. You know, humanity was fragmented into all these tribes, hating and being hated. Until... Christ, our rescuer, came at great cost to himself. And by his death on the cross, uh, he got us out of our hopelessness. And now is the time where, it's like we're in the mechanics shop, we're being restored, we're being renewed in the image of our creator. And there is a day coming when it will be revealed How we, God's people, are his precious golden nugget. And so what's at the centre of our identity? It's not who we once were, but it's actually who we are becoming in Christ. Uh, Verse 11 goes on to say, Well, here... Here, in this body of Christ, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now, when he says there's there's no Gentile or Jew, I don't think that means that those parts of our identity cease to have any meaning at all, because you know you read on in different parts Paul will still refer to you know this person's a Jew and this person's a Greek and actually on this same page later in the same chapter he's going to talk to he's going to talk to slaves and he's going to talk to masters so i think the point he's making in verse 11 is that these things are no longer what matters most these parts of our identity While they're real, these are no longer the things that are in the driver's seat of our life. These are no longer the things which give us our sense of value and direction. These are no longer the things that unite or separate us from others. Because what matters most to us is Christ and we are one in him. Actually, it's probably worthwhile us... um, just stopping and thinking through this, this list in verse 11. Because, okay, he talks about Gentiles and Jews. So that's, I've been talking about that for the last few weeks. It's not your ethnic background that matters most to God. It's Christ and your status in him. Same with, what's the next one? Circumcised or uncircumcised? Similar idea, but maybe that's talking more about your religious background. And actually that's that's helpful. Because as I look around, I know that some of you some of you grew up in Christian homes. You went to Sunday school or kids' church, maybe you, you had an experience as a kid of reading Bible stories around the dinner table and you did Christmas and Easter. Whereas some of you here today grew up in Hindu or Muslim or atheist homes. And I know from talking to you that sometimes you can just feel a little bit out of it. You know, like when someone says, Hey, everyone, you know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And all the people who went to Sunday school nod their heads. But you're like, oh, um, You might sometimes feel like you're, you don't 100% belong. But what Paul's reminding us here is if you've come to Christ then you share the same identity as those who have grown up in the church all their lives. So we've got Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised. The next one in the list is barbarian. Now, Who are the barbarians? Well, back then, people who were not educated in Greek language and culture were called barbarians. So, in some ways barbarian is a reference to your educational background and you know we uh, presbyterians we're often booky people that can, that can be a real strength we value careful theological reflection but if you're not much of a reader or or you're not so great in english sometimes you might feel like you don't you don't match up. You're not enough. Or maybe some of you are um, digital barbarians. You know, last year you were never able to do that QR code thing. But Paul says here, no, if you're one of God's people, then you're one of God's people. You share the same identity in Christ. You belong just as much as the people who have those other abilities. Next one on the list is Scythians. The Scythians were a group of nomadic people. Um, they lived in, like now we would call the area Ukraine. And the Scythians were considered to be the wildest of the barbarians. Um, there's children in the room, so I won't tell you what the Scythian soldiers were known for. Um, But there was this idea that those people are outside, they're just so different. And you know today, so the Scythians were sort of, they were outside the empire, they're outside the globalised system. And you know today, it's interesting, as as I meet people from from around the world, people who come from cities are often connected to globalised culture. You know everyone's on Facebook and all of that. Whereas people from, maybe from, from villages or more, more traditional societies can actually feel really out of place when they come to Melbourne.
0: You
1: know, there's all these expectations we have that people just just will have a credit card and people will know how to apply for a job. And often our society has not much patience for people who don't know the rules. But this is a reminder that in Christ, we are one. We are brothers and sisters. other last one in the list is slave and free. Um, that's helpful because slave and free is referring to class. Now, class is where you've got people in the same culture, but separated socially. We don't talk a lot about class in Australia, but it's definitely there. I mean, I've seen how, even between like working classes and professional classes, there are there are little differences in expectations and mannerisms, and and very easily, professionals can look down on the working class and think that they're a bit untrustworthy, or or blue collar workers can look down on. People working in offices and go, oh, they're entitled and they're proud. Whereas Paul says, you know what? Let's have none of that in the church. Because what matters to God is not our background. What matters is that we're all saved sinners being renewed together in Christ. And so what will help us to actually function As this new community. Well, that's verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, I want you to notice that these are all attitudes which are related to Jesus' character. You know, Jesus looked on the crowds and he was filled with what? Compassion. Jesus is strong, but he's also kind. Jesus came as a servant, a humble servant. And Jesus was gentle. What does it say? A bruised reed he will not break. Paul wrote about Christ's immense patience. And so so, so this is saying put on put on all those things that that characterise Christ. He's saying we as the body, let's follow the head. And the fact that these are, these are all things that come from Christ is, is a reminder that it's, it's not just, oh, I have to try harder in my own strength to be kind and be humble. and no, As I draw near to Christ, as I experience communion with him, his gentleness and humility and compassion. Becomes a feature of my life. Um, Here's another thing to notice about this list in verse 12. Um, These are all attitudes which are focused on others. Because what's compassion? Compassion is about feeling for the suffering of others, kindness is all about looking out for the needs of others. Humility is considering others as better than yourselves. Gentleness is refusing to force our way on others. Patience is, as we'll see, patience is about how you respond to others. These are all the things that make cross-cultural relationships work. And one of the great joys of being the body of Christ is that so often cross-cultural relationships do work because Christ is at the centre and his ways are our ways. But of course, sometimes it does get difficult. And so what do we do when cross-cultural relationships aren't going so well? Well, that's where Patience, in particular, comes in because, okay, when when someone annoys us or someone hurts us, our, our natural human reaction might be, "Well, oh, I'm I'm out. I'm not putting up with any of this. See you later." But is that what Christ wants His church to be? I think uh, verse thirteen is Paul's explanation of what patience involves in practice. He's saying if we're patient, we'll recognise that, well, we're different and so we need to bear with one another. And we're sinners, so we'll need to forgive one another. We're different in so many ways. Some people here, I'm sure, you're anxious that things should start and finish on time. And some of you are just not really concerned about that. Some of you are very task-focused. If you started a job, you want to finish the job, while others might be willing to let a task go unfinished in order to focus on relationships. Some people are very careful with details, uh, whereas others are just a bit more general, big-picture thinkers. And so all of those things, it's partly personality, but also different cultures encourage different approaches to all those things. And so when we come up against difference, sometimes it can be frustrating. Sometimes the closer you work with someone, the more frustrating it can be. And so in these situations, what do we do? Verse 13 Bear with each other. We, we can do that. We can, we can put up with people doing things differently to how I would do them, can't we? Well we can, if we remember that these are God's precious people, holy and dearly loved. And so we bear with difference. But actually sometimes, sometimes when there's tension between two Christians, sometimes it's more than just difference. Sometimes it's sin. Sometimes what someone's done is wrong because it's careless or it's hurtful. And so what does it say we should do? Forgive. If anyone anyone of you has a grievance against someone, forgive As the Lord forgave you, and so if bearing with each other often means just keeping your mouth shut and letting things go, forgiveness is when actually you need to bring up the issue and talk about it. Here is a question: Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How did how did God forgive us? And when did God forgive us? Because okay, God's intention from the beginning was to forgive us. And, okay, there was that moment on the cross where Christ purchased our forgiveness. But, but actually, the, the actual enacting of God's forgiveness happens through this interaction where we realise we've sinned against God. We say, God, sorry, please forgive me. And he says, yes, of course, my child whom I love. God initiates the process by telling us about our sin. And so, okay, if we know that there's a sin problem between us and our Christian brother, maybe my sin, maybe your sin, that's when we should go and seek to resolve it, to ask for forgiveness or to offer forgiveness. Sometimes, sometimes that can be really scary. Especially because different cultures have different ways of dealing with confrontation. We want to be sensitive to each other. But as people forgiven by God, we need to be willing to forgive one another. And so, friends, over the last few weeks, um, I've had a lot to say about... Cross-cultural relationships, because the scriptures have a lot to say about people from different backgrounds coming together as one in Christ. And there's like there's plenty of other passages that we could have looked at. Uh, you know, we, we could have gone to Romans or Corinthians or other parts of Galatians. It seemed like this was a real issue that the early church had to work through. But I reckon verse fourteen in our passage kind of sums up everything that. We've been looking at over the last few weeks. It says, and over all these virtues put on what? Love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Ultimately, love is what will bind together this cross cultural, Christ focused community that we call the church. Whoever you are, whoever your brothers and sisters are, whatever worldly barriers there might be between us, Christ has overcome those barriers and he calls us to love one another. Love is the bond of unity. God God himself, Father, Son and Holy Spirit is bound together in unity because God is love. Love comes first from God. And he calls us as Christ's body to follow our head. When cross-cultural relationships are easy and joyful or when they're difficult and complicated, the thing that never changes is that we must love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. Your love. For us, despite our sins and our faults and our flaws and our frailty and our fickleness. Father, we pray that you will enable us, through the strength of Christ, to love one another. Please enable us to keep on loving. Keep on loving despite differences. Despite sin, please strengthen us to forgive when we need to forgive. And Father, we look forward to that day when it will be revealed how we, as the body of Christ, have been renewed in the image, your image, our Creator. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.